Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, we thank you for today. We give you praise. We worship you because you are God. Say may you be highly exalted in Jesus' name. Father, we pray that as we go into your word, that you speak to us by yourself in Jesus' name. Let your word saturate our lives and saturate our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's have our seats. If you will join me, I'd like you to open your Bible to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. In the month of February, we had an incredible time here speaking on a series that we titled Blessed. Amen. And we looked at the Beatitudes and we looked at exactly what each and every one of them meant for us. You know, when we study the life and the mission of Jesus Christ, there's a tendency for us as believers to want to oversimplify it. What I mean by that is that when you think about the redemptive mission of Christ, if you if you are asked, why did Jesus come? What did he come to do? You give someone a simple answer. You say he came to what? He came to die for our sins. He came to save us. He came to this world to give his life for us. And you will be correct. He died. He was born. He lived. He died. He rose up again. But the thing is that if it was that straightforward of an answer, then we would be nullifying a lot of the things that happened during the course of his life. A lot of the things that he did and a lot of the things that he said. If the mission was simply just to come and pay the price, right? He wouldn't have wasted so much time. Wasted, I'm using in the context of if that was the only mission. He wouldn't have wasted so much time with the disciples, speaking to them, gathering people together, speaking and teaching them on different things. He would have just come and paid the price, right? If it was as simplistic as saying someone just had to give blood. But everything that happened in the life of Jesus was extremely systemic and it was by divine order and divine plan. And there are so many facets to this particular teaching. But what we are going to be focusing on for this month, starting from today, are the lessons that Jesus gave about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And the reason we are going to be focusing on this is because Jesus did not just come to pay a price to save us from our sins and to redeem us and to reconcile us to our Father. It was always in the mind of God that the kingdom should be reestablished among men. Because something happened at the beginning. God extended his kingdom to the earth and he placed somebody in charge of that kingdom and that person's name was Adam. Right? And after a while, something happened. And that thing that happened did not just make man fall in terms of losing his relationship with God. It also destroyed or put a temporary halt to the establishment of God's kingdom here on earth. So it would not have been enough for Jesus to just come and pay the price. He knew what he was doing when he was speaking to the apostles and speaking to the disciples, he knew what he was doing when he was telling them the things we learned last week and throughout the month of February, when he was teaching them about the attitudes and the heart states and the actions that they needed to take for them to truly be, say that they are, what, they are blessed. Because there is something that has to be in the life of somebody that is connected or reconciled with God. It's not enough just to be reconciled positionally. It is not enough to be reconciled legally. Amen. It's not enough just to be justified. There is a life that you need to live. Because you are a partaker of what? Of the kingdom. 
that every kingdom is made up of people, a place, and an authority figure. Those three things need to be in place for you to say a kingdom exists. Even if you want to bring it down to our normal definition of nations or countries, what makes Nigeria Nigeria is that there is a geographical location whose boundaries are called Nigeria. If you step out of that boundary, depending on where you are stepping out from, you will land in another geographical location. So you step out from a side and you might land in Bene Republic. If you step out from the top, you're landing somewhere else. But that's not the only thing that makes Nigeria Nigeria. Nigeria is also Nigeria because there are people here that were born here. And there's a culture and there's a way of life that they have. And when you see those people anywhere in the world, you'll be able to identify them as Nigerians. Because there is a way Nigerians are. But the third thing is also that whether you like him or not, there is a president over Nigeria. And his name is Muhammadu Buhari. These three things need to be in place for you to say that this is a nation. He is important because he is the head of this nation. And it applies to a kingdom too. A kingdom has to have these three. It has to have a place. It has to have a people who you can identify by a specific lifestyle. And it also has to have a ruler. And when it comes to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, the ruler is who? Is God. Ruling through his son, Jesus. Because he gave authority to him. The physical place is heaven, but also earth. But not this earth as we see it, but an earth that is to come. But the kingdom also has a people, and those people are supposed to be us. So when you step into Matthew chapter 13, what you start to see is Jesus started to speak to his children. He started to speak to his disciples in parables about the kingdom. Before we read this parable, which is the most popular parable that Jesus gave, as far as I know, anyway, I want us to answer the question, what is a parable and why did he speak in parables? A parable simply, or simply explained, is a narrative of earthly or natural things that is used to reveal or construct spiritual things. It's a narrative of earthly or what? Or natural things that is used to convey spiritual things. Now I'm giving you this in the context of scripture and in the context of Jesus. But there's also a natural definition of a parable, which is simply a commonly known earthly thing that is used to reveal something that has deeper meaning. That's also a parable. Because Yoruba people have parables. So do the Igbos. So, do so does any tradition in this world. They are parables. Jesus was not the only person that spoke in parables. There are parables in the Old Testament as well. I'm reading through the book of Judges, and after Gideon saved the, the Israelites from the Midianites, what happened next was Gideon somehow gave birth to 70 sons. And one of the sons from a maid or a concubine rose up, and his name was Abimelech. And he went to his mother's people and told them, he basically convinced them to make him king. And when they decided to make him king, what Abimelech did next was he killed his brothers. Killed almost all of them except one, and that one's name was Jotham. So Jotham was young and Jotham ex escaped. And when Jotham escaped, he came forth and he gave a parable. 
He gave a parable pronouncing judgment on Abimelech and the people of Shechem. It was a parable. You can go and read through it. It's in the book of Judges. There are so many parables scattered around the Old Testament, which basically is natural things that explain a deeper meaning. The only person whose parables explained divine and heavenly things is Jesus Christ himself. And the reason for parables is both to reveal and to conceal. I want you to write it down. The parable is given to reveal and also to conceal. And you will see it in the accounts that Jesus said these things have to be hidden from some. And it is for you. He was talking to his disciples. A parable is not a parable until it's understood. If a parable is not understood, it is a riddle. That's what it is. It's just a riddle. What makes a parable a parable is the fact that the meaning has been conveyed. So Jesus spoke in parables both to reveal to those that were supposed to understand it and to conceal the meaning from those that were not a future part of that kingdom. This message was specifically for the people that will become the kingdom. And in the first parable, we have the parable of the sower and the seed. And I want us to read through it and learn from it. I read from verse 1. Same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him. So that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who had ears, let him hear. Verse 10, and the disciples came. And said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And it is in them fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. 16. For blessed are your eyes for the see, and your ears for the hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them. And to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is what he has, this is which he has received the seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word of God, and anon with joy received it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulations or persecutions ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the world, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. 
but he that receiveth the seed into good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. Amen. The first thing I want to say to you is that you should never get too familiar with the word of God. Because I have read this parable maybe all my life. As young as I can remember. It's a parable I've always known. And when I was seeking God's face as to what we were going to do this month and what I was going to teach you this month or speak to you about this month, and he led me to Matthew 13, the first thought I had was, I know this parable. Then he told me to go and read it again. And as I started to study it again, he started to show me some things that I had never seen before. And started to explain to me some things that I want to share with us today. So please, I want us to be attentive so we can learn what he wants us to learn today. The first thing I want to say is this. The fact that this was the first parable that Jesus gave to his disciples in this manner cannot necessarily be contested. And one of the reasons why is because a lot of times in the Bible you find that some things are arranged differently. But when you check the accounts, particularly between Matthew and Mark, it's extremely similar that this is the first thing he said. The second thing is the fact that this was the first time that the disciples contested this method, which means that this was a method that was new to them. So when he said the first parable, if you read further down when Jesus spoke other parables, there was no contention. Because at this point, this is something that they are already used to. But for this first time, there had to be a conversation. Because they asked, why did you speak to them in parables? And Jesus gave them the answer and I've already explained that. But the reason why I want to mention this as the first is because of our subject. When Jesus wanted to start to speak or to teach about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, Jesus saw it as a necessity to mention that the primary factor of most importance when it comes to kingdom people is our relationship with his word. That's the first thing. It's not the tongues you you speak. It's not your attendance in church. It's none of those things. The first thing that Jesus felt important and necessary to speak to kingdom people about, those who will be inheritors of the kingdom of heaven, had to do with their relationship with his word. And that is still true today. That is usually the first indication of your place and your state in his kingdom till tomorrow. If you want to have a clear view of exactly where you are with God, check your relationship with his word, how you receive it and how you give it out. And it's like a mirror in your face. Because that's the primary indicator. Every other thing that we're going to discuss on that lessons of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom, is born from that. And we will see how. And there are two characters in this story that apply to us. In the story, really, there are three characters. There's the seed, there's the sower, and there's the soil. But the seed is the word of God. So that doesn't have anything to do with us. But you see, the soil and the sower both have to do with us. And one of the things that God showed me is that a lot of times when I've read this parable, I have focused so much on the soil and I ignored the sower. And that's the person that we are going to stop with today. I ignored the sower. Because the sower just has one line in this parable. But it's probably the most important thing in this parable. But we'll start with the soil. Jesus already gave the interpretation of this parable. So I'm not going to litigate it. I'm just going to show you or explain to you what it means. Amen. 
The first who fell on the wayside, the primary problem that this person has is lack of understanding. Because the Bible says here that what? In verse 19, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and steal it away. So that person's primary problem is what? Lack of understanding. But remember that this lack of understanding, he is not part of the people that this thing is hidden from. Amen? What I mean by that is this. This is not somebody that the word is being concealed from. This is not an unbeliever. This is a believer. And yet, the problem with this person who is supposed to be an inheritor and a participant in the kingdom, is lack of understanding. And I want to mention two major things that bring lack of understanding into the life of a believer. Because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and he's supposed to teach us all things, right? The Bible says in the book of Job that there is a spirit in man, Job 32.8, and the inspiration of the Holy Ghost of the Almighty, gives him understanding. And that inspiration comes from who? The Holy Spirit, who is what? The bearer and the keeper of all truths. So the question is, for someone who is a believer, why should seed fall on the wayside in his life? Because this is for kingdom people. This is not for somebody that is not in the kingdom. This is for us. And I'll give you two reasons. Open our Bibles to Psalm 111 verse 10. Psalm 111 verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Of wisdom. A good understanding have all day that do his commandments. Can we read that again? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all that what? Do his commandments. One primary reason why we lack understanding is disobedience. It's disobedience. The reason why the word of God falls by the wayside on the heart of many believers is because they are living in disobedience. In one form of disobedience or the other. So they can't hear the Holy Spirit anymore because they've grieved him. We hear. Because if you don't do his commandments, you can't have a good understanding. So, like I said, this is for believers. This is not for unbelievers. That's one reason. The second reason. Let's open the Bible to Psalm 119. Verse 130. The longest chapter in the Bible. And the Bible says, The entrance of thy word giveth what? Light. It giveth understanding to who? To who? To the simple. And the second reason why we lack understanding is pride. It's pride. When the heart of man gets puffed up in any way, shape, or form, you will never understand his word. You know, there are people that cannot sit down and listen to what some people teach. They exist. Because to them, they are beyond that level. So like if our little Adekola picks up the Bible and comes here to teach, 
you know in some churches, some people will think that's an insult. To some people, they'll say, because ah, what does this boy have to say that he hasn't heard? The word can't penetrate such a heart. Because essentially, that person has exalted themselves, not beyond the young man, but beyond, who is the owner of the word here? Doesn't belong to me. And when man and believers let pride or any form of self-sufficiency or exaltation take any roots in their hearts, their heart becomes a walkway where nothing grows, just a pavement. And they will not understand. Understanding will not come into their lives. Not because the Holy Spirit hasn't been giving freely to them or shed abroad in their hearts, like the scripture has said. Because they are hindering him in some way. And as we go through these examples, you will see that all the examples that Jesus listed of the various types of soil that had problems, the problem was usually an attitude one. The problem was usually in actions produced from a certain attitude. And this was the problem of the first soil. Are we still here? Are we following? Okay. Let's read the second type of soil, what Jesus said. Like I said, he already interpreted it. I'm just going to show you some things. And he says, He that receiveth the seed into stony places is the same that heareth the word and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet he hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Amen. I'm going to explain what this stony soil means first. If you go into, if you do research, and I did some research, this stony ground does not mean that the ground looks like stone. What it actually means is that on the surface, it looks like good soil. On what? On the surface. It looks like good soil. But if you were to dig and dig underneath, what you find is what? Stone. Hard rocks where nothing can grow from. Amen. So on the surface is what? Good soil, it looks good. But underneath is what? Is rocks where nothing can grow. The primary problem with these hearts is lack of brokenness. Can we say lack of brokenness? Lack of brokenness. And one of the reasons for lack of brokenness is number one, the need for speed. And no meditation in the life of believers. Essentially, we don't meditate on the word of God. We're so quick to move to the next truth. We're too quick to move on to the next, in quotes, truth. I want us to look particularly at what Jesus said. He said these people receive the word with joy. And you need to realize that this joy is not necessarily emotional. It can manifest in itself emotionally in so many ways. Do you know that the fact that a word comes from the altar and in that moment the Holy Spirit pricks you about it and let's say that day you feel so much the weight of remorse and you feel, in quotes, bad about that thing and it touches something primal in your life. Do you know that that is not evidence that you've really accepted and you've taken that word? That is an example of receiving the word with joy. I'm going to show you or tell you a cycle of how the word actually gets into us and what it does. And you would find out that of all the truths that you've been listening to on this altar or any altar, you will find out that if you want to examine your life realistically, it's very few that you've actually applied. <laughs> 
that has actually sunk into you. Because here's how the word works. It gets into you through your body. That's your physical body because you have to have ears to hear it, right? And it goes into you or you have to have eyes to read it. And when you take it in, it goes into you. It goes to your soul. But the aspects of your soul that it goes to primarily, first, are your mind and your emotions. So that's when you find out that you're in the presence of God and sometimes you hear something and it breaks you so much. Or you hear something and it fills you with so much joy. Sometimes you hear something and it just changes something in your mindset. Because it's your mind you're using to process it. And you have emotions too. And the problem we have a lot of times is that we let it stop there. But you see, for this word to do what it's supposed to do, it needs to sink further still. It needs to sink to your spirit. And it is from your spirit when it produces conviction in you that it will now come back up to your will. Your will does not do anything until your spirit has received the word. Because essentially, you cannot take a different decision until you have been convicted by the Holy Spirit. And the decision lies in your your will. It's your will that decides. But you don't receive the word with your will. You receive it in your mind. And your emotions can be affected by it. But if you do not meditate on it, if you do not chew on it and let it do what it's supposed to do in you, if you do not let the Holy Spirit do that work in your life, really do that work in your life, it won't produce anything. But God is merciful to us a lot of times that this process happens and we don't know. And how we don't know is that sometimes you hear something over and over and over and over again. It almost feels like the pastor has preached about that thing 50 billion times. It almost feels like maybe daddy comes up and he has said the same thing over and over again. God does that out of his mercy. Because the truth is, as you keep hearing it, something is happening. And a lot of times, what is happening is that it's passing from just what you know in your head to something that you know in your heart. Something that you can give your reputation for. Something that you can give your life for because you know it is truth. It's not every word you hear that you can defend that way. And that's why Jesus said that what primarily happens to these people is that when persecution comes on account of that word, when tribulations and offenses come on account of that particular word, all of a sudden they find out that that word doesn't really have roots in their life. But it sprouted, right? It sprouted some external evidence, but it never grew to produce any fruits. And that's because that word did not go past their soul. Crying when you hear the word of God does not move God. That's not evidence that the word has hit you. It has done something to you in your soul. But there's still something else that needs to happen because your spirit is not an emotional being. All your spirit truly longs for as a believer is to align with God's spirit. What your spirit is waiting for is for that word to sink into your heart to the point that it produces something in your will. Then all of a sudden you make a different decision on that particular matter. And you make a different decision because you are strengthened in your will by the spirit of God through the word that you've received into your spirit. So the stony ground, one of the major problems we have is simple lack of brokenness. That the word has not done its due in our life to break what? That stony ground and turn it to what? A heart of flesh. But on the surface, it seems like it's good. And a lot of people leave a lot of churches. Oh, I caught Rema today. Did you really? Did you? Oh, this pastor said the beautiful Rema that came out of the, of the altar today. And they're excited. And that excitement is genuine. They're actually not pretending. But you see what they've received 
is still where? It's still in their mind. It's still exciting them in their emotions. They need to do something. And in church, a lot of times, we just become collectors of different truths in our heads. You might be able to explain it to somebody else the way your pastor said it. But you don't really believe it. It hasn't really entered. Because between this Sunday and next Sunday, you did not take the time to meditate on what was said last Sunday. But if they ask you next Sunday, you probably still remember it. But that's not where the word is supposed to stop. Not here. As we will come to see, producing fruit is not easy. It takes time. What does it take? It takes time. And we can't afford to be in a, in a rush. We can't rush with the word of God. We can't rush at all. There's so many things that God will take his time to properly establish in your heart. There are some truths that might even take years before he finally sinks there. But he is doing the work as long as you keep going back. Because this is how we grow. Practically. So the major problem here is what? Lack of brokenness. A focus on the superficial over the things that are actually real. Amen. Are we still here? Okay. And the third, the third soil says, that's 22, he also that receiveth seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and you become it unfruitful. One of the biggest mistakes that I made when I was younger, when I used to read this thing, is that I did not see the end. So I used to interpret this as the cares of this world or the deceitfulness of riches. Kind of saying that the cares of this world is equal to the deceitfulness of riches. So when I taught it at some point in my life, I used to limit the cares of this world to simply wealth. But that's not what it is. It's the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. There are two different things. The cares of this world are relevant things that are actually important to you. They are not flimsy. I'm not making light of it. They are cares. Amen. Amen. They are cares. You see, they are not things that are mean meat. They are cares. They are important things. Important things like your family. Important things like your children. Important things like your job. Important things like your career path. They are valuable things to you. They have value. They are not flimsy and they should not be taken as a joke. The deceitfulness of riches has to do with false comforts that people find in earthly and material possessions that makes them believe that they truly do not need the word. So those people, their problem is comfort. They are too comfortable. So no matter what they hear on the altar, no matter what they read, it's not for them, really. Because their lives, in a sta- their lives are in a state of comfort. But you see, people that have cares of this world, the cares of this world is not limited to anyone. Because it's not everyone that has riches, but everyone has cares. Whether you're rich or you're poor. Whether you have plenty, we have little. Every single human being has cares. Every single human being has those things that matter to them. So the major problem for people in this category is just priority. It's priority. 
Because when the word is not priority, everything else will choke it. Because you will not be able to give time to it. That's all the thorns are. And these cares are valid and important things. I am not making mincemeat of the cares of this world. Because they are valuable. But they should not be first. They should never replace the time that you spend with the word. Because if it does, you won't produce any fruit. Before the word even has a chance to do anything, it will choke it. So you see, for these people, it's not like that soil is bad. Because if the soil was bad, it won't be able to produce those stones. The problem is replacement. Something has replaced and has taken the space where the word should be. I want to show us something in Jeremiah quickly. Another place where thorns was mentioned. Jeremiah chapter 4. When the Lord was telling the people of Israel to return to him. I'll read from verse 2. And thou shalt swear, the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. And the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. For thus said the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. The next thing he said was, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your hearts, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. I'll stop there. What did he say? Break your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. He's talking about the state of your heart. Because before now, he was talking about how the children of Israel has replaced him with so many abominations, so many things in their hearts. So many things have taken the priority of their lives instead of God. And Jeremiah describes those things as thorns. The same way our Lord Jesus Christ is also describing them as what? As thorns. So the people of this category, they have a problem of priority. Amen. And finally, those that fell on good ground were the ones that the word did its work and it produced what? Hundreds fold, sixty fold, thirty fold. But from all we have said today, producing fruit takes time. You have to let the word do its work. But as I started this message, one of the things I said is that we ignore the sower. We focus on the soil. But the believer is both the soil and the sower. At every point in his life, he would be one of those. So I want us to look at the sower as we conclude. The first thing that we hear and the only thing we see about the sower really is in verse 3. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. A sower went forth to what? To sow. It's interesting how the same sentiment is captured when Jesus said, I send you forth <laughs> as what? As sheep among wolves. The Great Commission also has what? A sending forth. And a sower went forth to sow. A sower is someone who has the seeds of the word of God and is going to plant it. And who do you think that sower is? Is it Jesus? No, it's you. And the idea here, when he says he went forth to sow, is that he left his comfort zone 
So the way houses were built then, and even today in contemporary culture, the farm is not your garden in the back of your house. The sower had to what? Step out and go forth and what? And plant seeds. Sometime last year, I followed Daddy to Shara, and somehow we landed in the house of a 90, I think he's 92, 92-year-old man, who still goes to the farm. And we went to the farm, and the farm is a distance <laughs> from where he lives because he went to his house. So he has a bike, like an Okada, that usually will carry his cutlass, carry everything, and will ride it there. What's he going to do? To sow. So it's still present in our contemporary culture. That you leave your comfort zone and you go out to what? To sow. But here's the thing. This is where I'm going to end. And this is what the Lord made me understand. This parable is a cycle. And it's the cycle of the life of a believer. Because anyone who has seeds to sow must have harvested fruit. Must have what? Harvested fruit. Because it is from fruits that you get seeds. So the reason and the primary reason why the parable of the sower is important is because if the word does not germinate in your life, then you have no seed. So there's so much that many of us may not have had the confidence to tell somebody else. There's so many truths of the word of God you've not found yourself saying. And if you really check it and be truthful to yourself, you might just find out that the reason why is because you probably still know it in your head. It hasn't produced something in your spirit that leads to conviction. You haven't borne fruit, really, from that truth. So you cannot stand on the rooftop and shout it out. You're still thinking with your head instead of obeying God and letting him do what he wants to do. It's he who has been able to harvest fruit as has plenty of seeds to sow. And to be able to be effective sowers, effective people that plant the word of God wherever we go, irrespective of what the soil state is, you have to make sure that your heart is continually producing fruits. Because if you dry up, your work dries up. It may not show in a day, but one day it will. There's an analogy I was given in school and I never forgot it. And it was usually about a pressing iron. And they used to tell me back then that when you unplug an iron, a pressing iron from the wall, it's not immediately that you can form, that you can go and touch the face of the iron. If you try it, you still get burnt. But over time, time will what? Time will pass. And little by little, it starts getting cooler and cooler. Many Christians are operating cold and they don't even know it because they've been unplugged for a while. They're no longer producing fruits. The word is not doing anything in them because they have so much thorns or they've become filled with so much pride that their heart has become a walkway where nothing can grow. But they don't take the time to meditate on God's word and let God break them with that word. So they've become what? Fruitless and seedless. But they probably still gather crowd and say empty things to them. And those ones go home empty because there's actually no seed. If it was simply about the ability to open this Bible and put two and two together, many people will be preachers today. Many people will be planters of the word. If that's what made us Christian, then all the people that have theological degrees but have no faith, who don't believe, but they treated the Bible as an intellectual discourse, 
and they have PhDs today in theology as well as other things. If it was just by that, they will be the preachers. If it was by that, God would not call Peter. Jesus has no business with Peter. Because Peter does not have the physical or mental qualifications to be a carrier of the word. He doesn't have it. And that's why when Paul was called, the first thing that Jesus had to do in his life was to break and delete everything he knew. And he said it clearly when he got to the Corinthian church. He's like, I thank my God that I didn't come with you with any words of human wisdom, so that your faith will not be based on any human wisdom, but on what? On the power of God. Because that's what works. That's what can produce fruit. But sometimes when we see that our evangelism is ineffective, or that you can't seem to speak something into somebody's life and really tell the person with conviction. When you see that you go to someone and you are talking to the person and you yourself, you find yourself sounding unsure. You've not produced fruit on that truth. You probably still just know it in your head. Whatever has sunk into your spirit and has germinated and produced something, you would shout it on the rooftops. People will accuse you and you say, yes, I said it. Because it is the truth. And it is our relationship with the word, both as sowers and as the soil, that is the primary marker of our state as citizens of this kingdom. Everything else follows after. Amen. Amen. And we rise up.